Well, it's, uh, it's good to see all of y'all today. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. Good to have you. Good to have you worshiping with us. You're always invited to anything we have going on. Today, we're kind of wrapping up a series we've had throughout this month about the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus. It's an important, important part of our faith. It's an important doctrine. I know a lot of times people wish they could know all the details about it. The truth is the New Testament doesn't tell us a whole lot. Um, we make a lot of stuff up. I can tell you that. We add a lot of details trying to fill in gaps. I know that. But, uh, but the New Testament just makes it clear that Jesus is coming. And that's something we, we need to be satisfied with. And one of the things that I like to say, and I've said it a lot uh, during this series, is, is that I just kind of look at it this way. One day Jesus is he's coming back and he'll, he'll set all things right. I mean, he will. He'll sort it all out. That's what he's going to do. He's going to sort everything out. So that's the name of the series, Sorted, the Return of Jesus and uh, the end of it all. And the thing that I've really tried to, to make clear, and it's really a simple message and a simple concept about the second coming, and it's this, that one day that Jesus will return, he will make all things right. You need to believe that. You need to believe that he's going to return. He's going to make everything the way it should be. And there should be comfort in, in, in knowing that. Um, throughout this uh, series, I've talked about the fact that he's returning someday. We don't know when. And I've talked about the fact that there's going to be a judgment and last week, I talked about the reality that we're going to have a resurrected body, a new body. And so today, I kind of come to, I think, I just know for me, the thing that really matters most in the second coming of Jesus, the thing that matters most, period, is, is this discussion about where I'm going to spend the rest of my life, eternity, about heaven and hell. And so today, this message is just simple. It's everybody spends forever somewhere. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. I've said this to you a few times over the years. Everybody's going to spend forever somewhere, man. You really are. And, and so what I want to come today, and, and, and the point that, that I really want to drive home, and to make it really personal, is simply this. You will spend eternity somewhere. Every one of you will spend eternity somewhere. So I'm going to share a couple things in the message today. And as I begin, what I, what I really want to start off with is helping you understand that when Jesus talks about it, he makes it as clear as it gets. I mean, that's what we're going to see. He's going to talk about eternity. I mean, he is. To, you see that today. And uh, he's talking about heaven and hell. He doesn't use those terms. He uses eternal life and eternal punishment. And, uh, you know, sometimes eternal death is used. And, and, you know, there's just a lot of different ways sometimes it's explained and said, but it boils down to heaven and hell. And I know there are people that are uncomfortable with that. I've, I've met many people who said, you know, you know, I don't like the idea of hell and I can't, you know, I can't worship a God who will let people go to hell. And I guess, you know, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus and that's where you tell me I was going, I guess I may not like that either. I mean, I can understand that. And some people think that, you know, it, it, it reflects poorly on the character of God, which it doesn't. I mean, I will tell you this. We, we looked at a little bit. I just mentioned the character of God when I talked about judgment. I mean, the, God is a holy God. I mean, to be holy means to be separate, complete unto himself. He is a God who is loving. He is a God who is absolutely just. And, um, in fact, I would just say the opposite. The fact that there is a hell says a lot in a heaven about the character of God that's positive. But, but put it to you this way. Without hell, people who rejected God would never experience the accountability of their actions. If there's no hell, if there's no account, if there's, if there's no punishment for your rebellion and rejection against God, then there's no accountability. You're not, they're not going to be held accountable. I'll put it to you this way also. Without hell, how can we ever consider God just? How, how, as a follower of Jesus, how in the world can I consider God to be just 
if the people who reject God, the people who are cruel, the people who live lives that are just thoroughly evil, if God doesn't do something about it, then how is God just? I mean, it's, it's, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. And so, I, you know, I would just share with you that I, I think it does the opposite. I think hell brings out the very justice of God, the holiness of God, the love of God. And so you come, you come to Matthew, where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 25. And, and, and I, I started the whole series a few weeks back in chapter 24. And it's, it's kind of a unit. They didn't write in chapters. You know, we, we added the chapters. They wrote in blocks of literature. I mean, sometimes like Paul would write a whole letter. The whole letter has to be considered in context. You know, a gospel of Matthew, chunks and pieces, they all fit together. Um, you know, I know one commentator said, you know, the book of Matthew is about the king and his kingdom. And it really is true. It's about what it means to be Jesus. He's the king of all kings. And so um, what we saw is on, on chapter 24 and 25, they kind of go together. It's the Tuesday of the week of Christ's passion. In other words, Christ is crucified on a Friday. Chapter 24 and 25 are given during the evening of Tuesday. Uh, he has been at the temple. Um, he, he leaves the temple area for the last time. And uh, he walks out, and you know, the disciples are just talking about how great the temple is. And Jesus just makes a comment that one day the whole temple is going to be destroyed. It won't be one stone left on another. And in chapter 24, verse 3, they just kind of ask the question, well, you know, when is this going to happen? They ask three questions, asking, when is this going to happen? What is the sign you're going to return? And what's the sign of the end of it all? And uh, he begins to answer that. And it's what you see in 24 and 25, that shows chapters. And when I was with you a few weeks, and I shared with you that when you, when you begin to look at it, he's, as he answers these questions, we, we think of the end times as the second coming. But in the New Testament, the end times was the whole time of Jesus until this day. We lived during the end times, the first, you know, his first coming, the second coming, that those were all the end times. And what he does in his answers, he kind of, he gives a contrite, this takes time and he kind of just shrinks it all down. And a lot of times when Jesus speaks of the end and the New Testament speaks of the end, it, the kind of language they use is, is, you know, very figurative and though he answers directly and he answers in a very historical way, some of the events that, that seem, that will be great many years apart seem to overlap. It's just his way of, of speaking and in many ways, what it does, it just reminds us that none of us are going to know what everything's going to happen. That's what he's doing. He's just saying, get ready. In fact, in chapter 25, he gives two parables to start it all off. And both parables just basically teach you better get ready. You better get ready. He's coming. And that's really the thing we need to see. And that's what he does. But now he ends all this talking about the reality of eternity and, and where people spend eternity, the reality of heaven and hell. And so, you know, we come, he's still answering the whole question. About from verse three, you know, you know when is it going to happen? What's the sign of your return and the end, end of the end? He's still speaking in reference to all of the book of Matthew, which is the thing in the book of Matthew is the king and his kingdom, and we have to you know trust Jesus. You know, Matthew's made it clear teachings of Jesus. You got to follow him. He's the savior. Uh, you take up your cross, follow him, give your life to him. All of that is in the context of this. So verse thirty-one says this: But when the Son of Man comes in his glory. The Son of Man is Jesus, just how he refers to himself. And he says, when he, when he comes. So the idea of when and he comes, taken together, means that he's coming for sure. You just don't know when. Uh, the word comes kind of means when he might come, not might come and that he may or may not, but whenever that might be. It's kind of like whenever he might come. He's coming in glory. Man, it's going to be an unbelievable scene. He's going to, all the angels with him. This is a glorious picture. He's coming. The angels are coming. I know every time angels are mentioned, some people you know, try to figure all that out. And what's the special significance of the angels? There's none. They're just coming. 
You know, it's just there with Jesus. There's this picture of this glorious return, and it says he will sit on his glorious throne. You got the king on his throne. I mean, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing the king coming. He's sitting on his throne, and, and there's going to be judgment. And this is the picture. This is the picture of the judgment. Now, let me just say this. There are several places in the New Testament especially that kind of makes reference to judgment. There's only going to be one. I know some people teach there are multiple judgments. The New Testament only teaches one judgment. I mean, it just teaches it from different perspectives sometimes. It's, it'd, be like, it'd be like if someone said, describe this building. You're sitting in here. You might describe it one way. Well, I'm sitting in a nice uh, air-conditioned, comfortable, maybe a bit chilly room. You know, there's a guy on the platform. He's kind of good looking. He's talking. You know, you might say that. Maybe not. I don't know. If you're out in the commons, you might describe it one way. If you're outside, you might describe it another way. You, you would describe the building differently, but you're describing the same building. And sometimes, just in the course of talking about the judgment, it's described a little differently. But the New Testament guys only knew of one judgment. Now, some people add multiple judgments, and they get it from here or there. It's just it's not coming from the New Testament, okay? And so there's this, 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 this judgment scene in verse 32. Here it says, all the nations, he says, will be gathered before him. All the nations. The word nations means people groups. That's what it means. It, it, it doesn't mean countries. It means, you know, the word ethnic comes from it. it. Really speaking of all the Jews, all the Gentiles, everyone, all people are going to be gathered. Now, some say this is a judgment. They take the word nations as we would use it, you know, in America sometimes as a country. But, you know, the idea that somehow there's a judgment of you and me connected to our country, I mean, it's just, it's just nonsensical. It just says, it says all people will be gathered, and then he will separate them one from another. So you're gathered, and immediately there's separation. And one of the, one of the key teachings in all the Bible is the idea of separation. You know, when, when God created, he separated the earth from the land, you know, the land from the sea. He separated all of that. Um, the word holy has the idea of separation. God separated to himself. So there's a separation. As a shepherd uh, separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And I wouldn't make a big deal about the right and left, what all that means. It's really, if you want to make a big deal about the, what it means to be on the right or left, it, it really doesn't matter. But it's just separation. I'm not, I'm not a shepherd, never been one. Now, I have family in the hill country of Texas that raise goats, you know, and I know very little about goats. They're, they can be cute when they're little, they smell. Um, my daughter used to, when she was little, love to chase them. And sometimes some of the goats would let her chase them, and that's all I know. <laughs> so whatever I'm about to tell you is not based on any of my experience, but... Back in that day, for whatever reason, they would separate sheep and goats. You didn't want them in, at certain points in the same herd, so they would separate them out. And that's what he's picturing here. It's just a separation. You got it. Sheep on his right, goats on his left. And then he says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, the king, this is Jesus, come. You are blessed my father. Come. You come here. The ones who are blessed, and the word blessed is important. Here it speaks of having favor, uh, of the honor. Um, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, and which is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which deals with Jesus uh, explaining what it is expected of people to be part of his kingdom. He says, blessed are people. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Now, that word blessed there is different than the word blessed here, but the concept is the same. It speaks of the condition of our life. It's a, it's a state of reality. It's how you exist, Okay. And so regardless of the circumstances, you, you are blessed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are blessed. And so they wrote in Greek, whether Jesus spoke to them at this time in Greek or Aramaic, doesn't matter. They wrote it in Greek because it captures the intent. 
The idea of blessed speaks of something that's happened to you. It's passive. It, it happens to you. You have been blessed. You didn't bless yourself. You didn't earn the right to be blessed. It is not something that somehow is owed to you. You are blessed. This condition of you, and this condition has permanent implications. You're blessed, he says, of the Father. I mean, the Father's the one who blesses. It's an amazing thing that God does that. He says, you inherit the kingdom. You inherit the kingdom, the kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and others uses the kingdom. We get to experience the kingdom. It's not that we own it, but it's ours, the fullness of the kingdom of God. You inherit it. To inherit something is something that's given to you, that, that you receive. It becomes yours. Because of someone's generosity, oftentimes, you know, we leave stuff to our kids. You don't have to. Any, some of you may have disinherited your kids. Most of you probably have thought about it. You may not have done it, but you thought it. You know, I've been in a couple of inheritances. I didn't get much. You know, my, my, my family members, we all live well, but when they passed, the ones that had anything didn't leave. I mean, the ones that left me something didn't have anything, you know, except the love and memories. I get all that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. I cherish those memories. Okay, I couldn't spend memories. The ones that had stuff left me nothing, but I didn't deserve it. Some of you may be thinking, hey, David, I can put you in. If you were to put me, if you ha- only if you, have, if you don't have anything, don't include me in your will. I don't want to have to show up for a reading and I get like a book, unless the book's valuable. I just, I don't want to, you know, here's, here's some cauliflower. I don't want that. I mean, I don't want what you got, you know. But you don't, you don't earn it. It's given. And what you're given, he says, is the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The idea of prepared, just like blessed, is something that happens. You, it was prepared for you. You had no part in it. From the foundation, from the very beginning of all of creation. Think about it. From the beginning of creation, God did something amazing. He prepared for you to be in the kingdom. All of that we know is through Jesus. Now, he doesn't say that there, but Jesus is talking about the end. And everything has been connected to relationship with him throughout the book of Matthew. Contrast this to verse 41. Here's what he says, verse 1. He will say to those on his left, depart from me. It's a command. Get away. Go. You are cursed people. Just like the people that are blessed. This speaks of some condition that they have. They're the accursed ones. They're accursed because they've rejected God. They've refused Jesus. All of us are in that position at some point. If you never come to Jesus, you are in the condition of being accursed. He says, you're going to go into the eternal fire. I'll talk about the word eternal more in a minute. But the fire, that concept of burning, that's, that's oftentimes used of hell. Dante's Inferno makes it even more clear. That which burns, fire, that's painful. I mean, last, a year ago in August, I was cooking some, I was chicken frying some steak. Because I'm from Texas, and every time we cook something, we fry it. We chicken fry it. That's be chicken. That's just a phrase. And, and, and the big old thing, Debbie's laying on the couch. She's not feeling well today. And, and, the, and the thing spills and hits the floor. And, of course, because we have dogs, and I understand my wife's immense love for those dogs. She loved those dogs more than they love me. i got to make sure the dogs don't get hurt. So in the process of protecting the dogs, all the grease hits me. And i got these scars here. It, it hurt. It was fire. Like, it burned. And she, she said, you okay? I'm like, yeah. She goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm eating the chicken fried steak because it's really good. And if I'm going to suffer, I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. You know, I just ate it. I am from Texas. There's chicken fried steak. I don't care if hell's on its way. We're going to finish the chicken fried steak. <laughs> it was prepared, he says, for the devil and his angels. Do you realize that? I mean, 
Heaven is prepared for us. Hell is not. The people who spend eternity in hell, you spend that in a place prepared for Satan. And the fathers of Satan. Now, there's other things he has in there. So let me go back and explain this. I'm not going to read the other verses connected to this. But, but he's going to explain to them and share with them the evidence of where you're going. How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know you're going to hell? How do you know you're going to the kingdom? How do you know the eternal fire? What? And he talks about it. And he says this. When you fed me, Jesus said, when you fed me when I was hungry, or when I was thirsty, you gave me water, or when I was a stranger and you invited me in, or when I was naked and you gave me clothing, or when I was sick and you visited me, or when I was in prison and you visited me, you did that for me. Or if you didn't do those things, you didn't do them for me. And they said, when did we do or not do those things? And he says, if you did it for the least or didn't do it for the least, you did it for me. The least is the most insignificant person you can find. And what he's saying is this. As my follower, you ministered, you served. You served me or you didn't serve me. That's the evidence of your condition. And they said, well, when do we ever do that? And he said, if you took the most insignificant person you can find and you did it for them. Well, absolutely. Last week I told you about coming off the mount where he did the Sermon on the Mount, and there was a leper there, and nobody, nobody touched the leper. You wouldn't do that. I mean, you can understand that, right? I mean, some of you, sometimes people come up and shake my hand. They got a rash. I'm like, you got a rash? I don't want to shake your hand. You know, sometimes some of your hands are cold and clammy, and you shake my hand, and it's cold and clammy. I'm like, I don't, God, I didn't want to shake it. Next time, I'm avoiding you. I'm like, hey, Troy, go shake their hand. I don't want to shake their hands. Well, you have staff to shake people's hands. If you see staff members coming to shake your hand and not me, you're thinking, oh, what, what's wrong with my hand, you know? And here was this leper, and Jesus just reached. He's the least of, he is the least of all these. There's no more more least. Than, he just grabbed him. He said, when you live your life like that for me, when you live your life with the very least and you're doing it for me, that's when you did it. He said, that doesn't save you. That doesn't make you blessed or a curse. It reveals that to you. It reveals to all of us who you are. A few hours earlier, just a few hours earlier, they had come to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love others. He says, all the law and the prophets rest on that, loving God, loving others. He said, everything that you can imagine from God about how we are to relate to him and to the world around us is based on love. And then in a couple of days, he was going to tell them the night of his betrayal, after Judas had gone, he was going to say, as a new commandment I give to you, here it is, you love one another. And everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is an amazing thing. He's saying you've got to love people. And here he gives the evidence of that love. If you are my follower, the evidence of you loving me, of you serving me, of you loving God is how you live your life to the most insignificant of people. This doesn't save you. It reveals the condition of your heart. And then he says this. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The ones who depart, the word eternal means forever. <laughs> it means, either it means without beginning or without end or both. It means forever. They're going to be forever in punishment. The idea of punishment is the idea of cutting short what you were doing with the price to pay for it. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, like you're going to be annihilated and never existing because the word eternal just speaks of forever. You're going to be this way. And then life is life the way it's meant to be. You're going to have eternal punishment or eternal life. And another place is called eternal death or eternal life. It's, it's heaven and hell. That's what it is. That's just the way it is. 
And Jesus makes it as clear as he can. Understand this. We come to judgment with a character not determined by our works, but our relationship to Jesus. All of this is based on our relationship to Jesus, but it reveals it. The judgment reveals the character. So it reveals our relationship of who you are in Christ. Now, I know some people say, well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to follow God like that. Well, whatever. But understand this. If you decide to reject God in this life, he will honor your decision in the next. He will. If you say, I'm going to reject God in this life, understand he'll honor. He's not going to make you follow him. He's not going to say, you reject me in this life, but good news, in the next life you get to spend eternity with me. You didn't want me. You can't complain. You can't cry about it. That's the way you wanted it. That's the way you get it. If you reject Jesus, it's the choice you've made. And Jesus makes it as clear as it gets. Which brings me to the next thing I'm going to talk to you about which is a life without consequences. Sometimes I think we want a life without consequences. I listen occasionally to uh, Jason and Travis Kelsey talk. They have this podcast. I don't listen to the whole podcast, but I like to listen to it. They're funny. I don't necessarily recommend that you watch it. I can't do that with a clear conscience. They're pro football players. They're great guys, but they have a little bit of pro football player language in their podcast, and so I don't always recommend it. Some of you girls that are younger, the name Travis Kelsey sounds familiar. It's rumored he is dating Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, so exciting. I can't tell you. If I only knew who Taylor Swift was, how excited I'd be. I know who she is. Someone says, David, do you ever listen to her music? And i like, not really, but you go ahead and think that if you want. I know she's, you know, whatever. And she's very pretty, and if Travis, you know, that's thumbs up for the fo- football player, thumbs up, give it to him. But they're talking the day, and they're funny guys, and they were talking about this survey that was done among people about when you were in elementary school, what was your favorite activity or game? And my mind went to one thing, and they said it both at the same time, dodgeball. Love dodgeball. And they, they were talking about playing it with the big old rubber utility ball, right? That's how I played it with. And they said, that's so great because you hit people, and it would hurt a little bit, you know? <laughs> And, and then they both started saying, they're saying what I'm thinking. Like, but the problem was if you hit him in the head, you were out. Like, why would you be out if you hit him in the head? Because it hurt, but it's supposed to hurt a little bit. I remember playing, and I, I'll be honest with you, and, and, and like I'm not honest at other points, but maybe. But if I'm playing dodgeball, I mean, and I saw some guy, I didn't like him, and that big old melon was in view of their head. <laughs> I'd take that dodgeball and I'd hit them in the head as hard as I could. Yeah, you'll be out. I didn't care. It's a game. I'll come back to the next game. I got the hit. And I hit them. The purpose was so they would see stars. And their bell would be rung. Or what we like to say today, call it a concussion. A big fancy term. (laughs) And I'm thinking, big deal. I'm out for the next five minutes. They're going to be seeing stars, like, for a long time. And there was a, the old Beretta TV show, Don't Do the Crime If You Can't Do the Time. I'm happy to do the time for that crime, man. But they were saying, you say, where does all this go? Well, I'm getting back there, but I just want to tell that Parker's dodge funny. They're saying, nowadays, they play dodgeball with little foam balls. And you hit, and you're out, and that's your only punishment. They said, being out is no consequence. They don't feel the pain. We live in a world where people don't want consequences. They don't. We live in a world where they don't want a culture with consequences. There's no such thing. The minute you try to remove consequences, you know what happens? The powerful, the cruel, the mean, they take control and they force their will. And that's exactly what happens. 
Consequences matter, and the Lord understands that. That's why there's consequences for all of life. And God created us in his image. And by the way, next week I start a series about being human, being me, and I started by being created in the image of God. He created us in his image, and he gave us some freedom, but he said there's limitations to the freedom. And if you go past those limitations, if you exceed those limitations, there are consequences, and they are. But this is the amazing thing. God decided to give us the opportunity to have the consequences changed. Not by what we could do, but what would he would do. And he sent Jesus into the world to change those consequences. And Jesus gave his life for us. And he died for us that we can put our life in him and trust him. That's what an amazing God did. So you understand something. We are accountable for our life. We are. We're going to be held accountable for what happens. But don't think you're not. You are to God. And understand, being held accountable means that judgment awaits everyone. It awaits us. We're going to stand before Jesus one day. And we're going to have to give an account. And the most important thing about that account is whether or not we trust him. And yes, we're going to have to account for all our actions. And here's the thing. For a follower of Jesus, our actions are going to betray the fact that we follow Jesus. It's going to show that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, your actions are going to show you did not follow him. For whatever your motivation, it doesn't matter. You didn't follow him. Judgment awaits. Get this. We're not all going to the same direction by different roads. It's so popular that we're all getting the same place, just different ways. No, we're not. The judgment reveals we're not all going in the same direction. Heaven and hell isn't the same direction. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, only through me. In the Sermon on the Mount, as he concluded it in Matthew 7, verse 13, he said, enter through the narrow gate, because broad is the gate and broad is the road that leads to death, the destruction, hell. And many people travel, but very narrow is the gate and very narrow is the way. And it leads to life and very, very few people ever find it. And a few verses later, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, the will of the Father is that you trust him. And he said, there will be people on that day who will say, Lord, we preached in your name, we cast out demons in your name, we healed people in your name. And he said, get away from me, I never knew you. Because whatever you did, you did for yourself. You can claim whatever you want. You lived your life for you. You can do all the good works you want, but you lived your life for you, and you rejected Jesus. You rejected Jesus. Because it's not about our works. Though our works reveal who we are, it's not about our works. It's about a relationship. See, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. That's what it is. That's what it's always been. Sometimes I'll say that Christians follow Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. It is a relationship with Jesus. You either have that relationship or you don't have that relationship. And the final judgment, it will be clear. Because here's the thing, the final judgment determines nothing but reveals everything. It reveals where you get to spend forever. And everybody spends forever. Somewhere. Everybody spends forever somewhere. So where are you going to spend forever? One day Jesus will return. He makes all things right, praise God. And he will set all things right with you. 
He will come into your life. You will face him. And he will set all things right with you. And he sets them right for eternity. And you will spend eternity somewhere. Some of you may say, you know what? I'm not going to follow Jesus. I don't care. I'm just, I just not for me. I don't, like, I don't like what I hear. I don't like that concept of God. I don't like this or that. And that's fine. God, here's the amazing thing about God. He lets you make that decision. And all the consequences that go with it, but he lets you make it. Just understand the risk you're taking. But some of you may be saying, I don't really like the odds of where I'm going right now. I'm not really thrilled with the things that are before me. That's not what I want. Well, the good news for you is you can trust Jesus. You can give your life to him. You can do it right now where you're sitting. You can give your life to Christ. You can come up here in a minute and talk to one of us, whatever it is. But you can. Change the consequences of your life. Not through what you've done, but through Jesus. He will change us for you if you will but trust him as your Savior. So I want to be standing here in a few moments. There'll be some other people up here also. If one of you ladies would rather talk to another woman, there'll be, there'll be another woman here. And if you want to come and give your life to Christ, you can. If you want to come and pray with us, if you want to join our church, you can. Listen, whatever, whatever it is you need to do, we want you to do it. But know this, that when you walk away from this place in a few moments, you're going to walk out that door spending forever somewhere. Where will you spend forever? Father, as we come before you, knowing that life is so short in so many ways, and that tomorrow is never promised, but forever is, and we all spend forever somewhere. I pray in the name of Christ, and I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, that those who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior would do just that. They would give their life to him. And they would trust him. And that they would know where they would spend forever. And the people who love them and care for them would have the comfort of knowing where they are. God, let us spend forever with you. That's the somewhere we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And you.